I'm excited to have Kashish Gupta on the Data Dive podcast. Kashish studied business at the University of Pennsylvania before completing his master's in robotics and machine learning. Kashish is also the founder and co-CEO of HighTouch, a data-driven company focused on helping businesses make better decisions. So Kashish, welcome to the Data Dive podcast. I'm glad you're here. Hey, thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about your background and what got you interested in the data science field. Yeah, I've always been pretty fascinated by databases as a whole. My favorite class in college was, surprisingly enough, a databases class, which I then TA'd. And it was kind of a weird experience because I was an undergrad student at the time, but I was TAing for graduate students. And like the reason I was so interested in databases is because like my, honestly, my dad always told me that if you understand a database, you can always understand every other part of the stack. So like when it comes to computer science and building applications, um, if you can understand the database layer and the schema for the database, then it kind of informs like all the APIs and how everything works. So that's kind of like the methodology that I've kind of used to understand applications as a whole and has been serving me pretty well. So that, that's how it started. But for me, honestly, like machine learning is where I got introduced to like proper data pipelines and ML ops. And from there, like learn more and more through our customers and through my co-founders who used to work at a company called Segment. Yeah. So how did you kind of go from that interest and that passion to actually breaking into the data science field? Yeah, honestly, um, the answer to that question is that the data science field found us more so than we found it. We were working on a travel startup back in 2020 when the pandemic happened. And as a result, we had to pivot out of travel and do something else. And so what happened is that we were actually working in the customer success space and in the customer success space, all of our customers told us, hey, what, what customer success is, is basically the part of a company that helps onboard and make customers successful, which is like the post-sales team and helps customers like learn how to use the product, um, engage more with the product and understand how it works. So we were building a product for them and they were saying, well, this is awesome, but I also need to see my customer data in the first place. So it's interesting for me to see like all of the communications I have with my customer, but I don't even know how much they're using the product or if they're logging in or anything about the customer. And that's like our, the original kind of like pivotal point where we started realizing that customer data was still not in the hands of business users. And that's what we started building towards. So after that, we had a few more pivots, but like eventually got to the idea that we're working on right now, which like the number one goal for this idea currently is to get data into the hands of business users. Yeah, so you kind of talked about it a little bit there, but tell me a little bit more about your vision to start High Touch and how you see your company growing. Yeah, so... High touch really, like the point of high touch is that you have data in some big database like Snowflake, BigQuery, or Redshift. And those are kind of the most common ones, but there's a bunch of other ones. And all that really matters is that the data is accessible via SQL. So you already know how to access data via SQL. You can do analytics on that data, but that analytics just ends up in some report that a BI person looks at, and then they make decisions on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis. And that's not that interesting. Um, the purpose of HighTouch is to get that data into operational tools where it can be used to make like decisions in the moment rather than after the fact. And so what we call this is operational analytics, like basically turning analytics into action or turning analytics into operations. And the way HighTouch enables that is it gives users a really easy interface to turn SQL queries into data pipelines. So we basically take a SQL query, we pull the results, we diff the results to only look at new and updated rows. And then we send those new and updated rows to some end destination. And that end destination could be something like a CRM, like Salesforce. It could be an ad tool like Google or Facebook. It could be a support tool. It could be a customer success tool. It could really be anything. 
And we have 60 of those integrations right now. So our customers have a name for this and they call it reverse ETL. They came up with that, not us, but like it's kind of stuck in the industry now. The reason it's called reverse ETL is because ETL is the common way to think about getting data into your big database. And for all intents and purposes, like you should consider a big database a data warehouse, which is a slower and cheaper version of a production database. ETL is usually the process of getting data into data warehouses. That's why they call our thing reverse ETL because it's getting data out of those data warehouses. The core thing is really that HighTouch gets data out of those data warehouses and lets you use that data for your day-to-day operations. So if you can imagine that my sales team now has data in their Salesforce, or my support team has this data now in their Zendesk, it allows them to build workflows and automations off of that data because now the data is in their hands rather than in the hands of the data team that is accepted from them. Yeah. So what are some of the advantages and drawbacks of using a cloud-based data warehouse opposed to a traditional data warehouse? Yeah. So the primary advantage is that you get a cloud scale compute. So what would traditionally happen is you would buy a server, um, you'd build a data warehouse on it, and it'd be something like a Hadoop cluster. So you just have it yourself in your own office, and it's only able to scale as much as the number of CPUs that you have on it and the number of like amount of storage that you have on it. So that's like a tr- traditional like on-prem computing, right? The whole purpose of having a cloud data warehouse is that you can now share compute with everyone else in the Snowflake cloud or the BigQuery cloud. So that means that I can now have access to like maybe a thousand times more compute than I can actually afford because I'm only using compute when I'm running my query. And so that's, the, that's like what they call like separation of compute and storage, which is the most interesting thing. So traditionally, like the more storage you buy, the more compute you can buy because that's how servers scale. And so if you wanted to buy more and more data storage, you had to buy a more and more expensive server. So it got really expensive really quickly. Now you can just separate compute and storage. So you can store all your data in your Snowflake on like AWS S3. And it's just stored there at a really, really cheap rate, like cents per terabyte, basically, or like dollars per terabyte. And then what Snowflake will do is it'll load all of your data into memory, spin up a database at the time of your query, run your query, and then spin down your database and put it back into your slow storage like S3. And that means that you basically get your database as needed or your data warehouse as needed. But now it's way faster because they'll give you like a thousand times more compute than they would give you 24 seven because they're only giving it to you for a few minutes. And now your costs are not scaling with storage. So you can store like hundreds of terabytes or thousands of terabytes of data without having to pay like more and more and more for, for compute, which is the expensive part. So like primarily the benefits um, to reiterate are like speed and cost where it's faster and cheaper, but it's also in some ways like more accessible to data teams. Traditionally, like setting up Hadoop cluster means you have to have an engineer full-time dedicated to running your Hadoop cluster for you. And this person oftentimes has like a whole team of people that are like DBAs and managing the database and making sure it doesn't go down. And like a lot of like, to be honest, not very fun work. And now that work is outsourced to your cloud provider that just does it for you and it's very reliable. And then all you're doing is simply getting data in, writing queries on it, and then reading those queries. So it just takes away a lot of that infrastructure management away from the job of the company. And like it wasn't anyways like something that most companies specialized in. It was kind of like a tedious task that they had to get done. So I don't, and the only real drawback I can think of is security. So the only reason you'd really want to do something on-prem is if you have a really large need for keeping the data on your premise of your company and never letting it reach the cloud. So like there are some like government agencies that definitely have on-prem and some healthcare companies that definitely have on-prem. But for all intents and purposes, like we do see a world where people are using cloud and what you can do with most modern data warehouses is you can spin them up in your own cloud. So I'll give Snowflake my AWS credentials and then Snowflake will spin up in my AWS rather than in their own, which means that I can now like 
run it within my cloud. So it's like not fully on-prem, but it's like on-prem of my cloud, which is like the hack that people kind of found to get around on-prem. If you're dealing with a large company who has multiple business units and conglomerates all the data across their various business units into one data warehouse, how does the combination of data across these different domains affect the analytics that HighTouch would provide to that company? Yeah, so it definitely as you get to bigger companies, one of the big reasons why data warehouses make sense for them is because they can have all of their BUs or business units in, in, in one database. So like what you'll usually see is like in a data warehouse like Snowflake, you'll actually see like multiple warehouses and they each have names. So like, let's say you're a brand like PNG. PNG owns, like, let's say they own both Tide and like Febreze. I, I don't actually know if they own both brands. I know they own Tide, but let's say they own like Tide and Febreze. You'll see like a Tide data warehouse and you'll see Febreze data warehouse and like 40 other data warehouses for all their brands. And in those data warehouses, you'll see like customers of each one and like people that downloaded newsletters and like maybe like iOS device IDs, et cetera. And so the beauty is that me as a massive company like PNG, now I can share data between my different brands and potentially even merge all that data into one central data source. So what I might want to do is I might want to cross market. So I might want to say that anyone that buys Tide should also be buying these other products I have because they care about cleanliness of their clothes or they're already associated with Tide. And that means they must like smell of X type of Febreze, right? That kind of cross marketing is only possible if you can kind of merge those data sources and say, okay, here's my overlapping customers that already bought both. And then here's the customers that only bought Tide, but didn't buy Febreze. And we need to now check for which ones convert over to the Febreze side. So that's the kind of like complex queries you could write. And the beauty of something like having it all in one Snowflake or all in one big data warehouse means that you can do joins across those tables. So traditionally like joins across different databases are very difficult and like not really practical at all. Um, and so getting them into one makes it like a lot easier. And that's where like ETL comes into play where what people will do is they'll basically replicate all of their data from their other databases into something like Snowflake. So they'll say like, here's the 20 databases I have in my company for like the 20 business units. Let me just do a full replica of each one into Snowflake. And the reason I'm down to do a full replica is because compute is separate from storage. So I can just store like tons and tons of data for a really cheap cost. Um, and the idea is that like, I'll just like almost for free replicate all my 20 databases into this one database called Snowflake. And now I can do joins across the 20 databases in a really easy way. That's how like bigger companies with multiple business units get better economics and like better utility out of data warehouses. And for that matter, like a lot of our customers are those kinds of companies that have conglomerates or different business units. But overall, like what really matters is that like you want to merge data across different sources. And if you want to merge data across different sources, a data warehouse is already useful for you. And you don't have to have multiple business units for that. Like you could just have your production database merged with your like marketing database, merged with your sales CRM. And those three systems are replicated into data warehouse. And that's what you're doing your queries on. And that's still like super useful. At high touch, how important are data mining and data cleaning to the operational analytics that is performed? In other words, how do you ensure that the data that you collect from the data warehouses are free of bias and can be applied across the various consumers a business may have? Yeah, so the short answer is that it is very important, but usually companies hire entire teams of data engineers to work on this. So like generally what happens is I kind of describe the ETL process of getting data into your data warehouse. There's actually like a new form of this called ELT. So ETL was the traditional like extract, transform, load, where you would extract data from some data source you transform it into the type of data format that you want in your data warehouse, and then you'd load it into the data warehouse. 
that was like the traditional way of doing things. And that's kind of like the way to get clean data into your data warehouse that is pre-formatted because it's pre-transformed. Um, the new kind of methodology that has emerged because again, storage is super cheap and you can just do unlimited amounts of it is ELT, which is extract, then load, then transform, which is like basically like, I'll just take all my data. I'll just load it into my data warehouse, taking care of how clean it is or how good it is or anything. It'll just all go in there. And then once it's in the data warehouse, then I'll do the transformations afterwards. So like what you effectively see is that people get like tons and tons and tons of messy data into the data warehouse. And it's kind of like the wild, wild west. And then teams of data engineers or analytics engineers will come and model that data into some clean format. So it is extremely important for the usage of high touch for someone to do that data modeling process. And we're like strong advocates of like hiring a data team to do that. But yeah, those are kind of prerequisites. And once you've done those things and you've had clean model data in your data warehouse, that's when you would do something like operational analytics with high touch. And you would want to get that nice model data into other systems of record. So you'd want to, again, like you'd want to get that nice model data into something like Salesforce or HubSpot, where your customer's data can be enriched with the usage metrics from your product database. So how is implementing reverse ETL, which is the process of copying data from the data warehouse into the systems of records, been better uh, compared to traditional data integration techniques like ETL or CDP? The primary reason why it's like why, why we think it's better is because it's based on the data warehouse. So like one clarification is that ETL is definitely a data integration, like is related to data integration, but it's the other way around. So like ETL is, is it copying data from any SaaS tool generally into a data warehouse. And like for all intents and purposes, like we are in agreement that ETL is ETL and that you can't really say there's such thing as like ETL versus reverse ETL. Like it's all the same thing. It's all just ETL in the end of the day. But like for simplicity's sake, like let's say ETL is getting data in then reverse ETL is getting data out so that people can think of it as two separate operations, which in reality they are. Reading data from a SaaS API and then writing it into the data warehouse is actually a very different architectural operation than reading data from the warehouse as a SQL query and then writing into that, the SaaS tool, where ETL is more like a make sure um, I read everything and compare it against what I have in the data warehouse. Whatever I don't have in the data warehouse, I try to write until I keep trying to write over and over until I finally get a full replica of my CRM in my data warehouse. So ETL is kind of like this tractable problem of like, did I copy everything over? If not, let me make sure I copy everything over. And then boom, now I have a full record of everything as tables in my data warehouse. On the other hand, reverse ETL is kind of like a lot more cardinality or edge cases because it depends what the user wants to do with it. There's not like a right answer, right? So for like the ETL use case, which like usually companies like Fivetrain and Stitch do really well, there's a right answer of, did I copy all my data over? Yes. Or did I not? No. And like, that's like the correctness of the solution. Whereas reverse ETL, it's like, okay, here's a SQL query I'm using to pull the data. That SQL query might include a transformation because generally SQL queries do. I have to now map it to the SaaS tool, define whether it should overwrite human data or not, define whether like it should insert rows or upsert rows or update rows and all these different things to then reach a solution that I want. But my solution might be very different from your implementation, might be very different from someone else's implementation. So there's just a lot more configuration that can go in to people using reverse ETL in different ways where like I might want to only update existing users in Salesforce because I only want my ETL process to affect enrichment for existing users. And you might want to insert new users into Salesforce as well as update existing users. So it's just a very different process and like Hightech has to be able to define what that does. So I guess to answer your question, we're, we're pretty confident that like ETL and like reverse ETL will, will remain separate as far as tooling goes. And that's kind of like what the industry believes right now as well. 
CDP, on the other hand, is a completely different architecture. So CDP stands for Customer Data Platform. The most common one overall is Segment. And we used to look a lot at Segment and see what they've done um, in terms of like go-to-market because both of my co-founders were early employees at Segment. But like our paths have diverged quite a bit because the Segment architecture is just very different from the high-touch architecture. So a CDP generally does three things. They collect event data. Um, and event data is like any sort of like client-side data usually that you get on your website where like every time I visit your website, it'll trigger an event that said user-viewed website. And then I go to the pricing page, it'll say user-viewed pricing page. And then I go to the add cart button, it'll say click to add cart. These are all like website events. So Segment will collect all these events. It will store all the events for you as a data store. And then it will forward all these events on to your SaaS tools, like your HubSpot or your Google Ads or your Facebook Ads. As far as where we overlap with them, we only overlap in the third part. We don't do event collection and we don't do event storage. All we do is the forwarding of those data points onto your SaaS tools. The difference also there is that like they primarily focus on event data, whereas Hightouch focuses on both event data and relational data, which if you're interested in like talking about that, I can go into that a bit deeper. But point being that like in the CDP framework, you basically trusted one tool to do everything for you, which is like collect all your data, store all your data, and send all your data. And what we advocate for and most mature data teams advocate for is that something like a CDP should be collecting your data and it should be sending the data to your data warehouse. And additionally, you send all your other data to your data warehouse through your ETL processes. And that's what like Fivetran and like other ETL tools help you do. And now you have your data warehouse and your data warehouse should be the store of data, not your CDP. So instead of having like Segment or your other CDPs store the data for you, you use them to get the data in, but you maintain your own like central source of truth which is usually your Snowflake or your BigQuery. And Segment already has like first-class features for forwarding events to your data warehouse. So it's already like part of their very core workflow. Um, and now you replace your CDP with your Snowflake or your BigQuery because your Snowflake or your BigQuery actually has all your company's data rather than just the tiny part that is collected via Segment or other CDPs. And then finally, you use HighTouch to get data warehouse data back into your SaaS tools as the activation layer. As far as how we like position ourselves, we basically say that Snowflake or your data warehouse is your CDP and that we are simply the activation layer for that CDP that takes the data from rest and puts it into motion or like turns it into an action. How does HighTouch ensure that their solutions can be utilized by non-technical users? Yeah, so this depends on like what you define as non-technical. So our first and primary goal is to make it so that our solution is, is like usable by SQL users. So like generally like developers are considered people that like are writing code or Python or like Node.js and that. And then like analysts and like data folks are oftentimes considered people that write SQL. What we strongly believe in is that like there's a ton of people in a company that are highly technical, but don't necessarily know how to code or aren't coding all day. And these are the users that want to enable with data. So anyone that knows SQL really well or knows SQL at all should now be able to access data in their company and then turn that data into workflows. And that's where we think HighTouch is like really best used. Someone that understands SQL generally, you know where to find the data in your company because you know what tables that data is in. Via these SQL queries now, you're able to accomplish the work of a developer because usually the only person that could pull data and then send that data to some other place and do it on a schedule and make it useful was someone that was writing code in Python. And now it's possible for anyone that knows SQL to do that using something like HighTouch. Um, so that's our primary goal. We do have a second product called HighTouch Audiences. And that one doesn't require the knowledge of any SQL. So that is totally usable by like just anyone in the company that understands what they want to do with data. 
Um, and again, I don't like the word non-technical because I still consider like a technical marketer, someone that is a technical user and they understand spreadsheets well, they understand their data really well, but maybe they're not versed in SQL and that's fine because they still understand their data. And what high touch audiences does is it would give them the ability to build an audience from scratch. And for example, like an audience would be something like, give me all people that visited my site in the past 30 days and added this product to cart, or give me all people that viewed my site in the last 30 days and group them by the product that they added to their cart but did not purchase and give me the ID of that product. So now I can send all these people ads that are based on the ID of the product and therefore the picture of the product that they viewed. Those are the kinds of campaigns that Hydrate Audiences powers and that's all without SQL. So like it requires you to understand like, okay, I want to look at users. I want to look at users that added to cart within 30 days, like these kinds of constraints, but it doesn't require you to know anything like joins or group buys or counts, like more like SQL terminology. And that's why it's like super accessible but requires you to have like marketing knowledge or like knowledge of what you want to do. So those are the two primary access patterns for high touch SQL and then high touch audiences, which is a truly like visual audience builder. And that's like our whole vision. Like the whole vision is that people should be able to democratically access data in their company. So what measures does high touch take to make sure that the risk of developing a faulty algorithm or faulty analytics is reduced? Usually what we do is like, we'll give people, um, one is we'll give them a preview of what's going to happen. So you can test um, your sync before you run it and say like, okay, here's like my data, like my dummy data, test what's going to happen if this runs. And that'll give you like a few data points of like, what can you change that causes X action downstream? That's one that's preemptively making sure that things are working out correctly. Two is we give people a full UI to see which rows were or were not synced. So there's like two levels of this UI. One is that you get to see like what was synced and that would be like, here's all the rows that were attempted. Here's the successful rows and here's the failed rows. And then if you click in, you can even see what the HTTP request was that was made to try to sync that row. And so that'll give you like a full debugging view of like, here's what we tried to do. Um, here's the HTTP request that was attempted and here's the status code of the response. So the idea there is that like, they should get full visibility into which operations high touch is running for them. Um, generally, we prefer things to be preemptive in case like it's a big operation. If you mess something up, you can generally model your database or your data warehouse such that you can fix that mistake. So I can say like, here's what my data used to look like. Here's what it looks like now. And here's how, what I messed up. So let me just fix it on the source side. And if I fix it on the source side, it'll just replicate into the destination side automatically. We are working on some more interesting stuff to make it possible to roll back changes. Those are pretty complex because they're completely different per integration. But I think that'll be like a killer way to make it really safe to run operations. If you can imagine like version controlling like data pipelines, basically before this pipeline ran, what was my, my, my destination state? Go back to that. That'd be pretty awesome. But like, it's a bit far-fetched to do for every destination and we'll probably only get to it for a few to start with. So operational data can be quite difficult to deal with because many tools have to work together. So how does high touch navigate this challenge? I guess there's a couple of ways to think about this. One is like how we work with multiple tools because we do have to write 60 integrations. And yes, that is like pretty complex. But the second one is like, how do our customers interact with multiple tools that need operational data? That's kind of like the translation layer that Hightouch offers. If you think of like, um, we built integrations with things like CRMs, we built integrations with things like ad tools. Um, we built integrations with Slack as a destination. You can power your project management tool like Jira or Asana with Hightouch. Um, and because of that, like we've had to build a few abstractions for to be exact that make it so that like different high touch integrations work differently than others. So like 
The most simple case is a destination where you're basically copying over one table from your source side, let's say a users table, into the same users table on your destination side. So I have users in my database and I want to get them into users into Salesforce. And it's a pretty easy operation, right? It's like, just check to make sure my users synced over. If not, then keep trying until they do. It gets much more interesting if it's like a task-oriented workflow. So for example, I might want to sync like failed transactions on the source side over to Zendesk so that Zendesk tickets are automatically created for um, each failed transaction. And then the support team knows to go reach out to those customers and ask them about that failed transaction. For us, that's like where actually like a lot of the magic goes into like building these integration and these frameworks. Um, but for the customer, like we basically provide like one general framework using SQL, which is like, okay, you run your SQL query, you now get your table of like your result table, not the table that you queried, but like some resulting table because the result of the SQL query is always going to be some resulting table. And then define in high touch how that resulting table will then sync over to some destination. And the define in high touch part is where they get to like not worry about too much and simply say like, okay, here's what I want done. And then high touch will do that for me. And honestly, like as a result of that, um, we discover new use cases from customers all the time. Like we'll basically build an integration and then like customers will come by and say, hey, can I do this with your HubSpot integration? Or can I do that with your HubSpot integration? Or have you thought about providing this operation? And we'll keep building those more and more and more. So most of our use cases are actually like customer fueled. And usually we deepen the integration whenever the customer asks for it, basically like how we've been handling it. And the reason that works is because our integrations team is pretty fast at making those new features happen. So what are some potential issues in using data science for businesses and how are you guys working on mitigating those challenges? Well, I mean, I think most of it is talent. The hardest part about building a data science function or a data team is you have to hire people to do it. And these people are very, first of all, they're very talented. They're very expensive. They're very hard to find. They usually have like pretty high paying jobs already. So it's hard to convince someone to join your team. Um, If you could solve the talent problem, I think you could solve your data problem. I think that's generally how it works. Um, and then maybe the second one is based, is like getting the data team to work with your business teams. So people will oftentimes succeed in hiring their data team, but it'll be in a silo as compared to their business team. So their sales team is off doing some stuff and they're asking questions, but those questions reach the data team in the form of some ticket. And that ticket gets resolved with some SQL query. And now that BI dashboard goes to the sales team and that's how they get their, work, their, their answer. And that's it. The relationship between those two teams not being closer and the data team not always having full visibility into the business problem is I think like something that we definitely address and like we're kind of the glue in between those two teams. So oftentimes what you'll see is data teams will come to high touch and model data, and then business teams will come to high touch and they'll sync the data. So you'll get like the data team side, like they'll build a SQL query, they'll write the model in high touch, and then they'll say like, okay, here you go, it's done. We have users last 30 days. And then sales ops will come and say, okay, thank you for that. Let me map it, map it over to Salesforce and let me, um, make sure the logic is correct for updating data in Salesforce, and then let me test it. The one thing I've learned, honestly, like throughout the past few years of doing this company is that a lot of problems in companies are just people problems, and they're not really technology problems. So if like companies, teams internally knew how to work well together, um, a lot of problems wouldn't exist, but because there are not necessarily good ways for them to work together, and data teams are oftentimes spending most of their time writing SQL queries, that's where you see problems arise. Obviously, like we can't help people hire data people, but we can definitely help them kind of bridge the gap between business and data. Yeah. So how do you see the data science field evolving in the near future, both in business and in other fields? A few things. I mean, data science is one of those terms that has kind of changed over time. Um, Machine learning has now been brought into the data science realm like pretty strongly. 
And like, what is machine learning has also changed in, by, in definition. Like it's not often like building models. Sometimes it's also like just running models and like using models that exist. That would be an interesting question to answer that like I'd be interested in getting your take on. But like the way I see it, machine learning and data science are kind of merging into one. The other way I see it is that data science is still pretty distinct from like data analytics or data engineering. And we're much more so like in the data analytics or data engineering side. So like generally I think of like data scientists as like defining what the equations are that answer questions and then data analytics um, implementing those equations into queries or like basically modeling the data to then get that insight from yeah, those equations. So like data science is like generally like I think a lot more math and a lot more theory. And that's like usually where like more like creative insights come from. And then I think of analytics and engineering as like, we're going to set up the plumbing and the processes so that the data is in a usable format. So I think that that's how like from our view, from the analytics side, we view data science. Um, but we'd love to like be able to work more with data scientists. Like what we'd be really interested in knowing is are there cases in companies where data science has some insight, right? Like let's say data science is calculating customers that are likely to churn, which means that customers that are likely to stop being customers, or maybe they're calculating um, customer willingness to pay. So through some formula and credit score and like number of logins and stuff, they know that this customer is willing to pay between $10 or $20 or $30 um, lifetime. Those metrics will actually be really useful in powering marketing workflows or product workflows. For example, I could give someone a 30% off coupon if I knew their lifetime value was really high instead of a 10% coupon. And if I could power those things in real time, I would actually get a lot of value out of my data science. Um, but what I'm afraid of is mostly data science is powering things like more like once a week or once a month type stuff. And so that's where I'm curious to know whether like a tool like HighTouch can actually make data science insights more real time and more applicable to operations. But again, that is also like a classic like people problem where data science is separate from data analytics, is separate from the business team. And if all three were like kind of in the same room, that's when the technology problem of high touch would become more relevant because we would be able to say, hey, like there is actually a way for data science queries to be surfaced to the marketing team or to be surfaced to the customer success team in real time. Here's all you have to do. The fact that there's an easy solution that takes less than five minutes would actually serve really well to encourage people to try out the solution. It's like one thing that we see pretty often is like without high touch, because it's a lot of lift to try to do something, you don't do it. But with high touch, like you can experiment all day and it takes you like very low amount of effort and time to experiment, which means more and more people will try to experiment and see what they can get done with data. And that's what's like exciting for us because that is kind of what like enables creativity and like people trying things they wouldn't usually try. Like we've definitely heard of marketers and sales ops folks say that like, I wouldn't have ever thought about doing this myself. I'm really used to actually just asking someone else to do this for me. But my friend told me high touch was easy and I tried it. And you know what? I've actually been able to do it for the, for, for the first time by myself, which is really awesome because now I don't have to ask anyone when I want to do something. And so we think that's like pretty freeing. High touch recently partnered up with Fivetran. So could you talk a little bit about the idea behind this partnership and how you guys feel this is going to be beneficial for your future? Fivetran basically does the exact opposite of us. As a result, like a lot of companies ask Fivetran if they do bidirectional and they ask us if we do bidirectional. And in those cases, it's really nice that like Fivetran will refer customers to Hightouch and Hightouch will refer customers to, to Fivetran. Like basically how it works is like their sales team will be talking to a customer and they'll be saying, okay, we help you get data in the warehouse. And they'll say, okay, cool. What if I want to get it back into Salesforce? And then they'll say, yeah, Hightouch does that. 
So it's really good in that way. It's also really good in the way that like both products are built around the data warehouse. And so we're all partnered with like Snowflake and BigQuery in helping make deals happen too. And then the third way is that like, because we kind of serve the same customers, which are data engineers, it's always like really fun to write content with them. That is like a little bit thought provoking and a little bit cutting edge. That content kind of shows where we think the industry is going and where we think the data stack is going. And like, I think Fivetran and Hightouch will always be very aligned where they think the data stack is going. It's like very much like mutually beneficial that like ELT is a big thing and that data modeling is a big thing. Analytics engineer is a big thing. And like, as the data stack gets more and more mature and more and more companies start adopting the modern data stack, these kinds of like best of breed tools that do like one specific action within the stack, like just ETL or just reverse ETL, get more and more powerful because having one kind of exposes the need for the other. So like a very obvious case is like by nature of having now data in your data warehouse, you have much more utility for the data warehouse. And then you have much more utility for getting data out of the data warehouse. And so all the time, like during our sales cycles, we'll tell customers like, hey, like if you haven't already set this up, you can make Hightouch more powerful by buying Fivetran and then same vice versa. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Kashish. I had an amazing conversation with you. So if you like this podcast, make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple and Google podcasts at Data Dive and stay tuned for more Data Dive episodes like this one.